and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at Talk 90 My co-host is Jade. Hi, hello, I'm Jade. You can find me most places on the internet at Rose, including still Twitter, if it is still there when this episode drops, uh, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience of the friends on Discord, a link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we have a guest. Welcome, Shrug. Hi, hello. Uh, my name is Shrug. You can find me on the internet at the Secret Frog on Twitter and just Secret Frog a couple of other places. Just <laughs> guess. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Uh... Today we're going to be talking about book 42, uh, which is The Journey, a Rachel book. It is certainly a journey. Um, uh, before we get into that, uh, we get to ask what we always ask our new guests, which is, what is your relationship with Animorphs, Shrog? Uh, I like to say that I have <laughs> the general public's understanding of Animorphs, mm-hmm. um, you know, as of August. Um, <laughs> so I had the first three books at home growing up, so I'm sure I read those at some point. Rereading these recently, I didn't remember half of the actual plot details. Um, <laughs> I clearly read book seven at one point, because I remembered that one more specifically. Um, but yeah, I just had the general knowledge of like, yeah, Andalites, Yerks, vaguely remembered Horpagir taxons. Um, and then I, when I was like a teen uh, going through TV tropes phase, as one does, um, you know, you start getting the dimensions of Animorphs and like, hmm, that seems a lot more than I remember it being. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, astute listeners of this podcast may remember on book 24 that I wasn't there. Um, I was, in <laughs> fact, in the same room, but I was not caught up on this podcast at the time, so I didn't want to uh, butt in. Uh, I am now caught up on this podcast, and I'm here for reasons that will become abundantly clear as we go through this book. <laughs> good. Yes, good. Um, some content warnings before we get into this book for uh, attacks by dogs, um, body fluids, it, it's it's... There's more talk of, like, organs and body fluids than usual. Um, although they are mostly where they're supposed to be in this book. Um, yeah, just uh, human I'll, biology grossness, not necessarily yeah. in an injury way. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. you know how human beings are like big bags of meat? This book's yeah. really going to make you think about that. <laughs> Ugly bags of mostly water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, actually not the worst thing about this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also infectious disease. Uh, rabies is brought up at one point. Um, although it's more of a throwaway line. But that's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, this book was ghostwritten mm. by Emily Costello, whose only other credit is Alternomorphs 2. Uh, which might give you 
a hint as to the kind of quality we're working with here. It's not great. It's really not. And it's not fun bad either, Mm -hmm. which is frustrating. Like, there are a couple of very small moments where, you know, that uh, sensible chuckle gif? Mm Mm-hmm. Like that. that. I had a couple of... <laughs> Mostly not so much. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of those books that feels like in like K.A.'s office, whatever, a big corkboard filled with like, um, what are they, like little uh, cue card kind of things with just mm-hmm. random ideas. Mm-hmm. And they pulled the one off the board that says, rip off. A Fantastic Voyage, and just handed it to the Ghost Rider and said, have fun. (laughs) Yes. Like, the fact that the book mentions both A Fantastic Voyage, though not by name, it does mention a 60s sci-fi movie and the presence of Raquel Welch, so we all know what we're talking about, and also the magic school bus, does not make me feel any better about it. Like. I appreciate that this is a trope, a device that's actually become quite common and popular in sci-fi. But you can do something interesting with it. Like, um, I think the episode is Journey to the Center of the Fry. Like, that's one of my favorite episodes of Futurama Mm because it's great. Mm -hmm. But it actually goes out of its way to do something interesting or reveal something about the character through the act of uh, this, through having this device. Mm -hmm. This is a, let's be wacky and weird and aren't human bodies gross actually? Mm -hmm. And also scale is a nothing science and means nothing. (laughs) Yeah. I I just. Scale and time mean nothing. I'm going to say this now off the top. (laughs) The Helmicrons are here. They're worse than last time because they aren't even as entertainingly written. Mm-hmm. Like at They're least barely last present. Time, yeah, you could at least really enjoy are. the ridiculousness yeah. of mm-hmm. them. Like you could be frustrated by it, and I was. Loudly. Listen to our episodes <laughs> about Book 24. Um, but this is, this is a nothing. And uh, yeah, you know how small the Helmicron is? Like what they say, uh, they're just like, they're very small. Mm -hmm. Uh, Imagine something a hundred times smaller than that. So small you can't hear things, which makes no fucking sense. (laughs) You would still feel the vibrations. If anything, you would feel it more. I don't, you can hear a heartbeat, but you can't hear someone talking to you who's that much bigger. (laughs) Fuck off. No, no. You be consistent with your bullshit science or you don't get to have it. <laughs> Look, you uh, have to understand. As, no, no, you get away. You wait. I'm I'm kind mm-hmm. of annoyed at you. You know why. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. You should be. <laughs> Look, I am all for like ridiculous science and things like that, but you do need to be consistent in your own internal logic. Danielle and I have talked before with these books about when action scenes work and when action scenes don't. And for anyone that's ever read fan fiction as well, and we've, I think we've joked about this, they're not like reading erotica and stuff like that, if that's your bag. 
If you get distracted trying to work out how something's working, <laughs> it will take you out of the narrative. Mm -hmm. Is the thing because you get distracted by wait. Well, how does that work then? You mm -hmm. at least need to be cohesive in your own. In whatever justifications you have, at least be consistent with yourself, so the audience can suspend disbelief and go with you. Mm -hmm. But yes, Shrug, you had a point. I mean, I was mostly just going to agree with you. Um, as the the clip I shared with Danielle says, space is warped and time is bendable. <laughs> um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I've attempted to sketch out a timeline of this book. There are <laughs> at least guy. three massive time jumps. <laughs> Shocking. And there's one oh. that's just where... Tobias leaves to go get Axe, and he comes back, like, three lines of dialogue later. <laughs> <laughs> the barn's basically a Pokemon Center, right? They just used Fly. <laughs> uh, for any listeners that um, aren't aware, and there's no reason why you should be, just because it just might have come across that I was exceptionally rude <laughs> to a guest on the podcast, <laughs> Shrug is one of my partners, IRL. <laughs> so... <laughs> and dropped some information on me just before we started recording. I'm not actually... Yeah, Jay did not know I was annoyed. about to be a guest. <laughs> That's the least of what I didn't know today. So... <laughs> Danielle was also in on it, which is why they are laughing so much. <laughs> At the risk of sounding like a Helmicron, I have been plotted against! This <laughs> was an act against me! <laughs> ah, it was specifically Jacques Hughes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this right. book is so fucking stupid. It's really stupid. Uh, and like, I I can forgive. Like, oh well, you know what? We need to. We have a throwaway book. Fine, we just need to get one out. Okay. Hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool if the kids were really small, and we had we got to do a magic school bus esque. Mm -hmm. episode slash book okay fine weird choice but also here we're gonna have the weirdly lowest stakes well the only reason the kids would be small is if the helmocrons fuck with them so the helmocrons are going to be the threat and i'm like mm, okay also there's a side plot about a kid who took a picture of the kids demorphing that's n that's barely brought up except for marco having to deal with it yeah, there there are a lot of really strange and unnecessary narrative choices uh, in this yeah. book that just this serve to make yeah. it worse. Yeah, and unlike some of the other books where like we talk at length about horses using the phone and <laughs> shark brains, uh, there are plenty of dumb things or questionable choices that have been made but normally there's something else going on that at least like well at least x was well written or i really enjoyed the characterization of whichever kid you might be talking about the only character that comes off well is cassie because mm -hmm. cassie gets to be smart and even then she has some dumb she's like handed the idiot ball by the narrative mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but everybody, like, this is one of those ones that runs into the shitty characterization of Rachel, 
that we've talked about before mm-hmm. where she's just angry a lot and just for all there's a couple of beats it's just like there's just choices and i'm like why did you feel this was the direction you wanted to go mm-hmm. cuz i don't see what it serves other than for the most part making people look like assholes mhm and not in a fun engaging way everyone just looks mean or out of characterly dumb yeah yeah i hate it and i don't know if i should get into this later but like rachel versus the helmicrons did not need to be this bad like they're mm-hmm. I, I knew this was going to be a Helmicron book going in, and obviously because of the numbering, it's a Rachel book. Um, so I had time to think about it, and there was a clear path to make this worthwhile, but they didn't go that route, and mm-hmm. I'll, there are a couple points where I will mention that as we go yeah. through the mm-hmm. plot. Yeah, there is there is uh, no I mean, using the plot to talk about character things. Um, I will say there are a couple of interesting incidences of using their setting of like getting shrunk down and going into a human body. Mm-hmm. Like I will say, the scene set in the stomach acid, pretty fucking gnarly. Mm-hmm. That actually felt kind of suspenseful. Mm-hmm. At least that part of it. And then there's still like Helmicron's talking bullshit, and you're just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'm fairly certain you can't perforate the stomach lining like that without causing damage. Yeah, no, you can't. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think you could. <laughs> Kids, don't put holes in your stomach. That's some free advice from me to you. <laughs> don't do it. Well, you shouldn't eat sharp things. One of many reasons why you shouldn't eat sharp things. <laughs> Bad for your mm-hmm. stomach lining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also don't know how strong human stomach acid is. But then I suppose if you are very small, then yeah, it's I'll a page of zero slide. to two, which is oh, that's definitely pretty enough strong. to burn. Yeah, uh-huh. gonna say if anyone here knows about uh, <laughs> acid and how much of a risk it is to the body, it would be Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> My students actually do an experiment on uh, not specifically stomach acid, but on antacids and how much stomach acid could given antacids neutralized. I should know acids, but I haven't actually done any chemistry in years. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about this stupid fucking bug. Let's get through this bug. So we open on a battle, as is kind of common at this point. Um... In a Dunkin' Donuts, which is pretty hilarious. Um, Rachel is an elephant and is tossing controllers all over the place. Um, we get the standard kind of introduction to, uh, the, the situation as it is. Um, we get the comparison to Yerks to parasites like lice or ringworm. So we're starting that uh, body analogy early. Um, and let's see. Does anything interesting happen in this battle? No. <laughs> Nothing interesting happens in this battle. <laughs> <laughs> they fight. 
the the reason for the battle, I guess, is somewhat interesting. It's that this location is a factory for portable Candrona units. Um, they're working on getting these portable units so that every controller can have one, and then they won't be tied down to the Yurk pool anymore. But even that seems really sort of counter to what we've learned about the way Yurk High Command works. Like, mm -hmm. having to have, like, unless you just mean, like, every sub-Visa gets their own. But even then, like, one of the things we've seen is that how stringently, like, Kandrona is rationed as part mm -hmm. of keeping um keeping them in line like the mm -hmm. development even just the building of a new candrona ray so there could be mm -hmm. another yerk pool would be enough but going yep everyone's gonna have their own home candrona ray they could just point it at a paddling pool or the bathtub and go <laughs> like that seems like yerk peace movement shit just like yes <laughs> this is freedom from the empire uh -huh. Uh -huh. this is this is seizing the means of production <laughs> <laughs> you know, Comrade Yerk. Um, so even like the notion of Candrona be uh, of Candrona production happening, cool and good, but it does seem like just a th viable thing that the kids would want to stop. Mm -hmm. That they've just thrown in there without much thought about how it fits into the wider narrative that's been constructed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like. You want to have Rachel and Elephant Morph throwing controllers around. You don't need it to be in this instance. <laughs> in this instance. And to be clear, I do love Rachel being an Elephant Morph throwing people around. <laughs> Aside, if you haven't seen the baby elephant getting up in the reporter's business <laughs> video that's doing the rounds, it's, it's precious as hell. It's very good. Elephants are, in fact, great. Yes, they are. Um. I suppose one beat that's worth maybe noticing is Rachel not being so caught up in the fight that she doesn't notice that Marco needs help and goes to help him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh. Um, they're also really pushing the limits of their morph. So clearly yeah. this fight's been going on a while because they've got like, uh, Axe has given them the three-minute warning so they need to mm -hmm. get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so nearly two hours have passed. So, by the scale of this book, that means that uh, three things have happened. <laughs> uh, they bail on the fight, and they run out to a deserted out alleyway, and they demorph. Um, not they don't really have a problem with it. It's just you know a little tight on time. Um, but as they're demorphing, a camera flash goes off. Um. And it's because some punk took a picture of them and books it. Um, and it's, I don't know. The scene is weird. Like it's tonally all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, like Marco's trying to make a joke, but also it falls super flat. And, uh, like to Jake and Cassie are being really grim. I, I don't know. It's totally all over the place. And Tobias goes off to chase the kid. Um to figure out where he is. 
Uh, Rachel goes eagle in order to help Tobias. Um, the others follow a little bit later in Owl Morph. Um, I want to mm -hmm. give a shout out to the late 90s, early noughties, because this is described as being one of those disposable cameras. Mm -hmm. If this is nighttime, because it's described as a pavement where can't see very well um, unless you're an owl morph, that picture is going to be dog shit. <laughs> like, those little disposable cameras in an alleyway, that's going to be overexposed to everything. You aren't going to be able to make out Jack. <laughs> I'm just saying, like getting good pictures at night on those cameras, basically mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. But that's just uh, me being a pedant, which is probably going to come up a lot in the because I'm uh, mad about it. Yeah, I mean the the possibility of there being any evidence is an issue, really. So I I I get it, and I appreciate that. Like the kids. Saying a photo of us specifically being identifiable, mm -hmm. even if like everybody writes off as a weird prank or mm -hmm. a bad photo, like um, a couple of books ago with the other Andalites, like mm -hmm. if the wrong people see it, that's mm -hmm. it's enough. Mm -hmm. uh, Tobias follows the kid to an apartment building, but can't follow him inside. Um, and can't see the kid through any of the windows. Um, so they just kind of like fly around hoping that he'll come back out, I guess. Uh, and Jake eventually makes a call like, uh, we'll split up into watch cycles. Uh, Axe and Tobias get first watch, then Rachel and Cassie, and then Jake and Marco. Um, and like, no, this is this is where it's again totally all over the place. No weight is really given to this. Like, and that's because it's not the A plot. Like, yeah. it is the B plot, and because of that, they don't give it the weight that it needs. Uh. Yeah, it's also um I know Truck had some comments about uh just the introductory chapter that we should get into, but that's it's an odd choice. Um and to be fair, it can work to introduce what you think is going to be the A plot to have it become the B plot. Like mm -hmm. that's like that kind of like, ah, you thought it was going to be this. It's not, it's this. Um, but like you say, like tonally, because we haven't, re the A plot hasn't been revealed mm -hmm. yet to us, the reader, but it's like, it's like you were saying that it's already made it clear, like this doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very much treated as the B plot when we don't have an A plot yet. Like the kids mm. are just treating it as like another annoying thing that they have to deal with on top of everything else, but they don't have anything else yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um So, let's talk about this intro because Chug, your yeah. hair is guest now. We're gonna make you share your thoughts. <laughs> oh fine. <laughs> I guess I should have a reason to be here. Um yeah, I just had two things that struck me. Um, especially going back, you know, skimming back through on a re on a second pass. Um 
So I mentioned there was a way this book could have worked. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about book 24 really quick, mm-hmm. because that was a Cassie book on purpose. Mm-hmm. For as silly as it was, it said something about Cassie. Because Cassie skills negotiation, and they put her up against an enemy that will not be reasoned with. Mm-hmm. And she got to show off her specific skills when she isn't the the peace broker. Uh, she mm-hmm. gets to be clever and sneaky and all of that. So if you put Rachel up against the Helmicrons, that should be a slam dunk. Because Rachel likes to be big. So you make Rachel not big and figure out what she does with that. Um, and it seems like in a couple of places they almost go there. Mm-hmm. Um, what strikes me in this introductory chapter is that Rachel is specifically an elephant and not a grizzly, which has mm-hmm. become her preferred battle morph. Um, so it's like, hey, maybe this is about Rachel needing to be larger in the face of overwhelming odds, and nothing comes of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I shouldn't be judging this book for what it isn't. Uh, the book that I have we do in my it all head, the time. But I, we do it all the time. I will bring it up <laughs> a couple. What we do. Yeah, well. Um, also, something that comes up multiple times in this first chapter is the two-hour timeline. They harp on it quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that's basically a flashing sign saying, "Hey, this is going to be important at the end." It it isn't. Mm-hmm. It it's not the main tension that comes up at the end, um, which is frustrating, because if you're reading and paying attention, you're gonna say, "Okay, I I see what you're putting down." It's bad writing. It's using tools, and it's not trying to do mm-hmm. inversions or subversions or like mislead you into thinking things are gonna go one way. It's like here's some narrative devices. Here's the rest of the story. Oh, you thought I was going to do something that? Nah. Um, it's like one of the big running gags on uh, Tumblr these days is the lack of general reading comprehension. Um, and just like people's inability to correctly read stuff. And this feels like the flip of that. It's just like all these elements are there that if you are like understanding the story as it's written these things should have meaning beyond mm-hmm. just being there mm-hmm. it feels so like it was it supposed is... to be important and then they thought of something mm. that could be even higher stakes so they did that instead like yeah, or not just instead those... just in addition yeah like if the kids were in a small morph inside marco mm then the two-hour limit would have made sense, and that weight would be a good reason, like, that, that it's been given that narrative weight. But it's not. They were able to be in Marco because they've been made really small by Helmicron technology. Mm-hmm. So the time limit means nothing. And it's like, the why, like you say, why draw so much attention to it? Also, just to carp on uh, about bad writing, because I I want to. <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy the um, intros to one the situation, the description of Andalites, 
Um, Andalites look like deer. If deer had blue and tan fur, humanoid arms and scorpion-like tails tipped with wickedly sharp blades. Just like, so nothing like a deer. Why use that point of reference? Like, I know that's been used before as a point of reference, but it tends to be for a split second, you might think you were looking at a deer, but you would quickly realize you weren't. <laughs> and just the way that the book has Rachel describing everything, she seems so angry. Mm-hmm. And just like stuck with all these people. Yeah. Like, oh, just like, oh, well. Um, an Andalite ship got fried in the atmosphere and all oh, this war friends just crawled out and um, listened and we listened and we were freaked out and he gave us the technology um, and then we get a throwaway line about how someone who means a lot to Rachel um, found out the hard way about the two hour limit and uh I don't appreciate necessarily in the context of all the rest of this anger um, about calling Tobias a lost soul with the body of a bird. Because mm-hmm. it's that framing rubs me up the wrong way because it feels very, I don't know, ooey, victim y, mm-hmm. just like, oh, my poor sweet Tobias. <laughs> so sad. And. <laughs> And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate that when it's uh, he is Tobias is described by Rachel as being he's a bird um, most of the time and most a human. And she says the sad part, at least for me, is that he seems to like his life the way it is now. Mm-hmm. And that little like tacit acknowledgement that Rachel's the one with the problem. Mm-hmm. But that just adds to the whole, just like, oh, a lost soul. If he, he, he should want to become human again, but he doesn't. Where? It's, it's wafty writing mm-hmm. and sits at odds with everything else. She's like, I'm going to be trash talking everything and everyone for a bit. And then I'm going to have this odd, weirdly out of place, poetic moment with a sentiment that doesn't vibe and then carry on. This book is badly written, <laughs> is what we're going to keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been, I, uh, just, I'll quickly make this point and then we can carry on with the, with the story. I've been, last weekend, God, it feels like forever ago, I watched the new uh, interview with the Vampire TV series and proceeded to spend the Sunday watching a reviewer on a YouTuber talk about them um, because that's who I am as a person. But she was talking about how you could clearly hear the distinct, the distinct voices where stuff was lifted from the original novels and where mm. stuff was written by the, the writers for the show. Mm. And that odd moment there that I was just talking about in this book, that's what was just like, that doesn't feel like the same authorial voice, mm-hmm. almost. And I'm not saying that Rachel can't contain multitudes, because she can. She absolutely can. And that's one of the things that make her interesting, is that she is the berserker, but she's also so deeply compassionate and cares about people. Mm-hmm. And I hate seeing that 
being steadily ebbed away mm-hmm. just, to, just to make her the warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually, speaking of the two authorial voices, because um, we know in general, because the authors have talked about it, how this process worked, which was that the ghostwriter was given an outline and then told to write the book and then K.A. would edit it. Um, and it makes me think of, uh, like, when I'm editing, like, students' papers, or on a very rare occasion, certain, um, like, when I was in creative writing classes kind of thing, and you'd come across something and you can easily edit it, right? You're like, okay, well, this needs to be different, obviously. But then you come across something that's, like, okay. And it's like, I could edit this to be better, but it would require changing so much else that I'd basically just be rewriting the whole thing. So it's fine, I guess. Um, and I wonder if that's the kind of thing that we're seeing here. Is like, we see the parts where they've clearly changed something and added a little bit of appropriate characterization. Uh, and the rest of it is just like, uh, it's close enough, I guess. <sighs> so they meet up at the barn um, for a meeting to, to be like, what are we going to do about this camera kid? Uh, and uh, Rachel's like, all right, well, let's go in. Oh, my God, I just noticed that. Jake nodded. I spotted the kid around Don. His apartment is on the fifth floor. The bedroom faces an empty lot up in back. Did you see the camera? Rachel asked. Mm. <laughs> oh. oh. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh. Great job. Yep. Great job. Great. That'll fucking work. <laughs> um. But also, Jake, how did you know what the kid looked like? Hmm. Who knows? Tobias didn't even get a really good look mm-hmm. at him either. Guesswork? Maybe. Maybe they get the wrong fucking camera at the end, and the, the picture that the, the real kid developed just was dark as shit, and so he didn't have anything. <laughs> um... Yeah, but can't, Rachel's like, let's just break in, get it, and get out. Like, why Why are we, uh, you know, pussyfooting around about this? Um, and, <laughs> and everybody else is like, no, we need to do this, like, secret-like. Um, and make sure that none of the other people in the apartment are controllers. Or something like that. And it's like, why? Just break into his apartment. <laughs> Just break into his apartment. This is such a big deal that it could blow the entire war effort for you. Just break into the kid's apartment. Yeah, and like, this is clearly implied to be a kid. So someone around their age, probably a little bit older, but no, mm-hmm. this isn't somebody who's developing pictures at home. Mm-hmm. 
this is somebody that's going to be like I I don't know what brands of places there are in in the US that do like back in the 90s and 2000s before Kodak, everything went digital. Kodak was big. Okay. Yeah, like one hour photo places like the kids not <laughs> the, the, the cameras the photos Eckerd's. not going to get developed in the apartment. Mhm. Um to which end you could just uh, pop the back of the camera open and just expose uh-huh. the negative and then it'd mm-hmm. be fucked anyway. <laughs> we uh, need to stop. Look, let me be clear. I don't think there's any saving this book. <laughs> um, but we're going to still talk about it as if we could. Mm-hmm. Look, um, I know Mythbusters proved that you can, in fact, polish a turd, but it's still a turd, to be clear. <laughs> Uh, so before they can do any more planning about what they're going to do about this camera, uh, a radio-controlled car just zooms into the barn. Um, it's, (laughs) specifically, it's a Barbie 4x4, which is the best detail. Let me be clear. (laughs) Danielle, in our notes documents, was like, I wish I could see your face when you read this moment. (laughs) And I was like, and to be clear, when this showed up, I was like, fucking incredible. <laughs> Love this for them. This is by far the best thing the Helmicrons have ever done, frankly. <laughs> How is they remote controlling the car? Doesn't matter. Just, <laughs> I am here for the slightly damp pink and aqua Barbie 4x4 <laughs> with a ship small enough to be sat in the driver's seat of a Barbie 4x4. Three to four inches long. This is bullshit, scale-wise. Let me be clear. Love the visual of a tiny spaceship on a Barbie 4x4. Great. Good. No notes. Love this. But as soon as you start explaining just how big this is, Mm -hmm. Then you start running into, but yes, this is a the problem with here. space and They're time. Annoying. Yes, so. it is. No, no, you're good. The, this comes up again. The more they specify time and dimensions, mm. the more they can be wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a prescient point. It's like, don't give the information because people will have stuff in their head that will maybe make it make more sense. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, the Helmicrons are here. They're yelling. Um, they're here for the cube again. Um, and want the kids as humanity, as part of humanity to accept their fate as being the eternal slaves of the Helmicrons. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel, much like the reader, you've got to be <laughs> kidding. Not these guys again. Which, you know, one of the few truly uh believable and (laughs) (laughs) evocative lines of this book just like yes Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. feel exactly the same way uh we learn in the uh fucking little chapter headers that tend to accompany Helmicron books, uh, but also they're not in every chapter in this one, like they are in 24. It's just 
when it we seemed like it was only needed. We got like four of them, right? I know. Uh, but we learned that the ship's engines have malfunctioned, uh, and basically they need help to get off the ground again. So if you remember at the end of the last book, uh, the kids were like, all right, you can power up your ships using the blue box, but uh, that's literally it. Get the fuck off our planet and never come back. Um, and yet here they are. Uh, we also have the, um, this is now a mixed crew mm -hmm. of Helmicron males and females who really don't like each other. Yes. But they're working together. But they do bitch about each other constantly in the yes. logs. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, the Helmicrons the are fighting amongst themselves. This is novel behavior. Yeah, the, the, the treacherous Popinjay males are just like, is this a Helmicron slur? Like, what am I reading? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. I don't need bullshit battle of the sec. I had forgotten that particular aspect of the fucking Helmicrons. <laughs> Much to my... Uh, well, I was grateful, but now I know about it again. So it's like, uh, <laughs> fucking fine. Um, but yes, so we get the paper thin justification of why the Helmicrons are here again. Yep. Uh, there's a slapstick moment of trying to grab the ship, uh, where it's in on the four by four on the four by four. Um. And the the Helmicrons are trying to go after or cut a hole into the freezer in the barn, which is where Cassie has hidden the blue box. Um, and uh, so they're trying to get into it. They're cutting into the freezer with their tiny ass dragon beams. Arrow, that door was closed on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> opens the door, looks at it like he offended him, and then leaves. Okay. <laughs> Incredible. He heard that Father, we were talking about violence. the Helmicrons. <laughs> and he was like, mm, no, actually, I don't want to be around this. Um, um, but yes, the slapstick continues. Uh, Rachel has a pitchfork. Um, Marco has a big ceramic jar, a ceramic pot that he's going to try clearly, like, like you would catch a spider. Mm-hmm. Um, as they go for it, Rachel ends up concussing. I say, Marco hit his head on, hits his head in the corner of the freezer because he gets knocked down. Um, mm -hmm. he also does at one point. Uh, Marco does get cracked in the uh, in the head by Rachel. Yeah, she like clear. hits him with the, with her elbow, and then he trips and falls and hits the freezer. Mm hmm. Okay, it's bad again. Badly written. Um, hard enough to knock himself out, which, to be fair, chest freezes are pretty fucking solid. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Um, this is Chekhov's unconscious anamorph and will become relevant momentarily. <laughs> um, because, yeah, we do have the moment of Rachel complaining about the Helmicrons and Jake pointing out that she was the one who elbowed Marco in the head. Um, but that wasn't even what knocked him out. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> nope, exactly. But they uh, but they get hold of the ship. Yeah. It's all there, but the the Helmicrons have bailed. 
and uh, with Tobias's super super hawk vision, can see that they are heading for Marco's nose. They got there super duper fucking fast. Amazing <laughs> how fast these little fuckers move, and yet how Despite slow they being... move once they're in his nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Time and space mean nothing, apparently, <laughs> until they do so. Yep. A pa- yeah, a dozen Helmicrons have gone up his nose. Yep. So they are small enough. Yeah, granted, the ship was in front of the freezer, and he got knocked out by the freezer, but nevertheless, these creatures, I cannot remember how tall they're originally described as being. They're like a sixteenth of an inch. They're like half the mm-hmm. size of a flea. Mm-hmm. So tiny. Um, but they're able to cross that distance. They can't jump like fleas, reminder. We assume they little I mean, they could have tiny Helmicron jetpacks. But then that would not explain why they're so slow moving around inside Marco. Um, but hey, the Helmicrons have decided to effectively use Marco as a hostage. Um there's some bickering between the males and the females. Um, I shouldn't have called them that because now I'm mad at it as a choice, narratively speaking. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But, um, yeah, it's just the usual sort of Helmicron posturing and into fighting. Um, Marco wakes up. And gets to be told, um, hey, <laughs> you have Helmicrons up your nose. The the book treats it about as seriously as I just did. <gasps> I, I am I know I am occasionally flippant about what we are reading. <laughs> the book is is doing this. Yes. It's- so and also the way they write Marco reacting to this is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like in some cases, he's justifiably like freaked out by this, but he's like he's almost too freaked out by it mm. because he doesn't. There are no real jokes. Uh, it it's vi- it again. It's very weird tonally, but in a way that it's like it's kind of hard to describe what it is that just feels so weird about it. The kids aren't being treated as characters; they're being treated as pieces that could be moved around the plot. Hmm. But yeah, so they have to explain um what to do. Like uh he sneezes um briefly and I'm just like kid just could have given how slowly these were he literally could have got a tissue and blown his nose and yeah. I think he would have been fine. Yeah. Frankly, um yeah, you know, you just put your finger over, close the other nostril and just blow really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
we, there is the acknowledgement that we don't know what they could do while inside his body, what sort of damage they could do. Yeah. Um, so they're aware that this, uh, for all the, the inconsistencies with Marco's freaking out um, and not cracking jokes, which is how we know when he's genuinely scared because um, he tries to make light of things for, for everyone else's benefit. Um, but they're like, okay, we've got a rally troops. Tobias, go get Axe. Um, but first, see if you can get Eric to keep watch. Um, he won't be able to follow the kid with the camera if he leaves the building, apparently. Why? Uh, apparently, our, our, our friend that can look like anything because he has a holographic projector can't follow somebody. Oh, it's against his nonviolence programming, following somebody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that contrivance. Um, so Tobias goes off to do that, and they start talk. the kids start talking about, okay, can we go in after them? And Cassie's like, small is small. I guess a flea is small enough to get into nasal passages. Might be tight, though, maybe a tick. Apparently ticks are s- as small as fleas, if not smaller. I don't mm, know. It's not even remotely true. Like not. <laughs> we don't we don't have to be clear in my defense uh, we don't ha- have ticks in this country <laughs> <laughs> lucky you so yeah no i'm fucking damn terrified anything i hear about ticks is bad they're they're awful yeah so i hear um but apparently ticks are Useless in battle is Rachel's opinion. And I'm like, mm, I've seen what ticks, I've heard about what ticks can do, are they? Um, Marco is not impressed about the notion of there being a battle inside his nose. Uh, Rachel gets w- maybe not weirdly ag- angry back at him because mm, Rachel was a little snappy anyway. But Marco immediately shuts down and is described as like being very cowed by this. And I'm like, hmm. Hate it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Hate it so much. Yeah. It would be much more in character if, if Marco was like, yeah, but you don't know what kind of damage you could do to me having a battle. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's it's just, <sighs> there's a certain patheticness applied yes. to Marco in this book yes. that I do not appreciate. Yes. Um, like Shrag was saying earlier, like nobody feels in character. They're all just like pawns of the plot, like to be moved around and do whatever the writer considers useful or pertinent. Um, we get the suggestion from Cassie that they could use the Helmicron's ship, power it up with the uh, with the cube, um, and go after the Helmicron's themselves. Mm-hmm. So not need to worry about morphing. And um, we get this bit of insight, which I don't agree with the choices in it necessarily, or the wording choices, I should say, uh, from Rachel, which is, I know Marco. Marco is a get-it-done guy. He has the strategic mind of a serious military man, and he's never afraid to make unpopular decisions for the good of the mission. He knew our, he knew our going after the Helmicrons was the fastest way to solve the problem. He wasn't going to stand in the way of the goal. A number of problems I have with this. One, okay, he is, arguably, he doesn't mind getting things done. He will 
do the shitty thing. That's true. He does have a strategic mind. It is not of a military man. That's Jake's thing. Marco is actually more creative in problem solving. And he doesn't make the unpopular decisions. He suggests the unpopular decisions. <laughs> and if I'm like, anything, Rachel's is... the one described as having... Sorry. No, please. But just thinking back to even the Starfish book, Rachel's the one described as having the military strategy mm-hmm. mindset. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is, just feels like a weird misread of Marco. Like... Elements of this are correct, but the way it's described feels totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Bad. Um, oh, and then despite having snapping at him, we do get the acknowledgement of Rachel. Like, eh. he, he has a right to be a, a jerk about it if he wants, because they're talking about, and then this choice of phrasing, yeah. invading his body in an unbelievably intimate way. And like... Yes, going into somebody's body is a, not a fun thing to think about, but I don't care for that choice of phrasing from a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bad. Mm-hmm. Even, like, yurking. And to be fair, the comparison to yurking is brought up, mm-hmm. which I do appreciate that there's that acknowledgement, but yurking's never been described as an intimate invasion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why this word choice? Again, it's that oddly poetic phrasing that seems at odds with the rest of the way she speaks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Talking about the most intimate part of the body, the nose. (laughs) The nose. Any hole, am I right, fellas? (laughs) I'm sorry, I see myself out. (laughs) You are not. Oh, but hey, uh, despite this brief exchange of words, maybe what, five sentences and a little bit of music? Hey, Tobias is back. 